You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunt your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about Tasha's character options. So, the new book. Tasha's Cauldron of Everything uh, just came out two days ago, uh, our time. Uh, Obviously, it'll be slightly more in the future for y'all. So now that I've had two days to begin going through the book and just seeing some of the many, many new options available in the book, it is pertinent to go ahead and explain some of those changes to y'all and talk about how those can be implemented into your games. So for the next two weeks, and of course, you know, more individual scattered episodes farther in the future, we'll be focusing in on the new book, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. So Everything. So first things first, Nathan, uh, how familiar have you managed to get with the new book in the last couple of days? Extremely, I've not touched it at all because I don't have it right now. (laughs) Okay. All right, so we will be relying on you for the reactions and for the things that I am about to discuss with you. So one of the major options advertised in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything is new character options. Uh, There are, I believe, 24 new subclasses introduced in this book. Uh, For the sake of Nathan's sanity, we are not going to go through all of those at this point in time. Uh, The focus that I intend on today is the general character options, origin options and such that are introduced in this new book. So normally when you build a character, your race and subrace influence a lot of stats, abilities that your character has at character creation. It is intended that most of the time, if you're playing, let's say, a dwarf character, that an adventurer dwarf is going to be the, you know, archetypal dwarf. 
you know, have that, you know, for a mountain dwarf, plus two strength, plus two constitution. However, the rules in this book allow new options. So in particular, just because a character is a dwarf does not mean that they will necessarily focus on, you know, training and their, you know, constitution necessarily. So the options in this book give rules that players and dungeon masters can use to make a character have the proper origin that you want them to have. And it gives actually a good number of tools in how to go about doing that. So first things first is going to be the ability score improvement uh, new option in here. So it's actually relatively simple, which is that normally instead of just taking that, I'm just going to stick with dwarf for most of these examples just for the sake of consistency. So instead of just having that, you know, plus two strength, plus two con, you can choose to apply the ability score increase that you would normally get for your race and sub race to other things of your choice. The only limit being that you cannot apply them to the same ability score. So you can't just give yourself like a plus four wisdom to make a dwarf, uh, you know, a dwarf super cleric. That'd be neat, but that's not the way that ability scores are really intended to go in fifth edition. But if you wanted to, say, make a dwarf cleric with a mountain dwarf character, you can do that with more apt ability scores than the original rules as written. So you can give yourself like, let's just say you even want to keep the plus two constitution. There's no reason that you couldn't do that. But instead of strength, if your dwarf has focused on, you know, his, you know, studies of Paylor, then OK, then they have a plus two con and plus two wisdom instead. And having those ability scores where you want them to be gives you a vast amount of new flexibility for characters. Uh, one thing that has already been memed about even before the book came out when this was talked about is the fact that this does unfortunately mean that there are some races that are about to see a lot of new play because of the ability score increases that they get. So one reason I use the Mountain Dwarf in particular is for that reason, because a lot of D&D races have a plus two in one score and a plus one in something else. The Mountain Dwarf is a solid plus two plus two. So from the min-max perspective, you're going to see a lot more like Mountain Dwarf wizards, you know, Mountain Dwarf, like a lot of <laughs> a lot more Mountain Dwarfs, period, because they're one of they may be the only race. There may be a couple, but unfortunately, it's just not coming to mind at the moment. But to get that solid plus two plus two. Uh, just for for funsies, Nathan, do you have any idea what the other most popular race is likely to be? No. Uh, let's <laughs> guess. Um, uh, humans. Yeah, yay, humans. Doubtful. And oh. <laughs> uh, funny you should mention that. I actually imagine there's likely to be a downswing in humans with the implementation of the new Tasha rules. Uh, the exact reason for that, though, I'll go into a little bit later on when I get to that part. So the other race, though, that I think will see a major upswing is half elves, because half elves also have a unique ability score increase to their race, which is they get a plus two charisma, but then 
plus one and plus one in anything else. So instead of having plus two plus two, they have plus two plus one plus one. So getting those ability scores in anything that you want to, we are going to see a lot more half elves to take advantage of that because to get that plus two anywhere and then two plus ones to you know round off any odd number ability scores or to push up anything that you just want to be able to you know boost with a normal ability score improvement later on you are absolutely going to see a lot more mountain dwarves and half elves because of those ability scores and honestly this one change alone is one that makes me super happy because the whole point, well, not point, but one massive just fact in Dungeons and Dragons is that adventurers are extraordinary individuals. So the fact that ability scores are so directly linked to the race or subrace of a character is something that has never sat well with me. So to me, this is a completely logical thing that just represents that, okay, instead of just your race and subrace influencing the automatic ability score that your character has in their initial training, that instead, by moving this focus to character origin and using that phrasing instead of just your original race, is brilliant. Because it means then that you can have your character's origin be whatever you want it to be. And giving players that choice, giving dungeon masters that ability for the sake of their world building and character building of their own, it's just a win-win all around. And I'm super happy that this is a rule as written now, and it is absolutely something that I myself have immediately taken advantage of for the sake of my own world. because. To be blunt, this is how it should be, in my admittedly biased opinion. I'm I'm quite excited for this, to be honest, because um, that's the one thing I do love about Origins and stuff like that, that it just gives you so much to work with as a dungeon master, for good or evil. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I wonder which route you're gonna take. Evil. But anyway. Ability scores aside, as awesome as that one is, there's actually a lot more options that are also talked about. So, but next up is talking about languages. And this is actually another kind of pet peeve that I have in 5th edition, which is there's a massive list of languages that exist, but it's really rare for it ever to really come up. So, by having there be a little bit more flexibility in the use of, you know, what, or sorry, not use, but what uh, languages your character starts out proficient with, that's the kind of thing that I think might hopefully prompt more Dungeon Master to make use of that in their games. To have it be like, okay, you might be a, a dwarf character, but maybe, you know, you grow up, you know, not in a mountain, and you just grow up in some massive city. And let's say your parents were poor, and just couldn't like afford, you know, a massive house in the city. So you end up growing up in like a gnomish neighborhood and you just grow up and just don't learn dwarven. And you just grow up knowing common and gnomish as your languages or, you know, halfling or just like, you know, some 
you know, oh, neighborhood shit. for the vertically that, 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 non just getting excited, man, because I, <laughs> I always want to do that thing, right, which I totally get as someone who, like, my, I'm, my real life race, race, I guess, <laughs> I'm Chinese, right? So mm-hmm. the big funny thing whenever I visit my grandparents is that it's always kind of awkward because I'm not good at uh, speaking Mandarin, if at all, I can barely speak it. But I can understand it. So most of the time, I'm just hearing them. Why? Why can't you speak your 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 uh, own language? And you, you know that kind of disappointed uh-huh. tone is like, yeah, believe and, me, <laughs> I know. Yeah, and I, I imagine having that in D and D, where it's just like somebody yells at you in the language that you don't understand, <laughs> and then you're like, what? And then it's like, oh yeah, what are those ones? <laughs> uh, uh, they're just getting no, like you just come across someone who's just getting yelled at by their grandmother, you know, gesturing oh, no. angrily, <laughs> slipper in hand, and just like it, it's something that would be very real, and that's always just something that I appreciate. And like honestly, for my own family, like you know, I come from Jewish Russian heritage. I don't speak. Hebrew or Yiddish or Russian like English is my only language so to have you know a character who doesn't speak that language like honestly is again more real and so if you have someone who only speaks like if you have a dwarf who speaks you know common and draconic but not dwarvish that's interesting (laughs) to me I I just find it hilarious because Honestly, in D and D, it's so easy to learn languages. Like the way it, it seems, so yes. easy to learn languages because most people have more than one, right? But the big funny oh, thing yeah, is that if, if, you, if you, yeah, if, if you didn't have the one that like is specific to your race, can you imagine somebody finds somebody of your race finds out? Wait a second, you, you know two languages, and and you don't know your your own native language. It's like you motherfucker. What are you getting angry at me for? I grew up in the city. Where the fuck would I have had the time to learn that? <laughs> it only takes a few, like, it only takes a couple of months to learn a language in d and I, I mean, like, anyway. it's crazy. Like, like in d and it's literally not a, a... Because, I don't know, it's kind of weird. Because you don't, you don't get that same negative where in real life you kind of get dismotivated to do something. In d and I have all the motivation. Yeah, also just, you know, because there is the gamification of the math of just like you go from knowing absolutely none of it to being completely proficient with and there's no like middle ground, like there's no like half proficiency for language when you're just like when you can get the gist of it and have to roll a check or some such. You just know it or you do not. And there is nothing in between. But also just another fun angle that can be taken with that. Something that is kind of odd to me, honestly, that I haven't seen at some point. What if you just have a character who doesn't know common? Maybe you have like a dwarf from the mountain who only knows like dwarvish and undercommon and doesn't actually know normal common. How how do you get that to work in a game? Well, uh, the hope would just be that there'd be some other character in the party who knows dwarven or undercommon to be able. But then it could just be the kind of situation where just like. You know, maybe you do just like go off book and just let them know just like a couple of words or like the characters are trying to teach them common badly and like teach them to say the wrong things like or you just have it be how common a language is Dorvish in your world. Like it's the kind of thing that, okay, if a lot of people 
trade with dwarven craftsmen or some such there's probably going to be a good percentage of people that just know dwarvenge and in which case they're probably able to get by just fine and it would actually only come up you know relatively uncommonly but just to have that be an option is nice like for just a new option for a way to play a character is just a good thing that these rules introduce so next up is proficiencies. So obviously you do often start out with proficiencies in certain skills or perhaps weapons. So like dwarves, for example, you know, can start off, you know, being able to use armor or being able to use certain weapons. But again, that can get swapped around a bit. And uh, also, of course, skills. So not dwarves, but like the half elf, for example, starts off knowing a you know knowing skills which is nice uh or actually a better example elves how elves can often just start off being able to use like longbow shortbow longsword short sword but you may be playing an elf wizard in which case that's useless to you or you know less than helpful perhaps would be the better phrasing so you know let's say that you have this you know elf wizard well what options would then be available to you so there is a new table in Tasha to swap out certain things. And it mentions that, OK, you can you know, change out a skill for any other skill, which is awesome in its own right. So uh, actually, one that comes to mind for me then. So if you have a race like uh, I think Dragonborn, I want to say, can start off with either persuasion or intimidation. But being able to just change that focus to another skill just again, more characterization for your origin. Uh, next up, then, armor can be swapped out for proficiency with a simple or martial weapon or a tool. All right, that's pretty nifty. So, OK, maybe you are playing something that you know, doesn't want or need armor stylistically, and then you want to just have something else. Nifty. A simple weapon could also be swapped out for just a different simple weapon or tool. A martial weapon can also be swapped out for a simple or martial weapon or tool, and a tool can be swapped out for a tool or simple weapon. So there's one thing that stands out to me in this, which is that they're giving a lot more options to gain tool proficiencies, which to me is actually quite interesting because that could be anything from a musical instrument to alchemist supplies to thieves tools like there's a lot of things that count as a tool and the fact that there are many 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 options here to gain a tool proficiency is honestly pretty damn neat so if you have a character that you know may be quite dexterous but you know isn't actually a rogue so maybe you're playing like a uh bard who also just happens to have a decent dexterity stat which is not uncommon then you can use something like this to okay you know let's say that you are like a dwarf bard you take advantage of the ability score swap you take advantage of you know this but if you don't want to have you know a dwarf in you know a heavy in a medium armor so you could use this then to like okay i'm gonna be this dexterous dwarf bard who also has like a thieves tool proficiency and again so many options for characterization and just optim uh sorry not actually optimization but just customization that's the better word to use there 
On the other hand, there is the option at the end there that if you have a tool proficiency, you could swap it out for a tool or simple weapon. And that, I feel, is going to be one of the underappreciated aspects of this, because there are times where a player character just does not care about a tool proficiency, and it is entirely possible that they may just almost never actually take advantage of that proficiency or just forget the fact that they have that proficiency because it's just not something that is of interest to them. So uh, actually, Caden has done this before playing Gorif, where he just forgot for almost a year that he was uh, proficient with a dragon chess set because it just wasn't something that he really cared about. So this is an underappreciated option to me because you can swap out that tool proficiency for just any other tool or a simple weapon. So they could swap that out for, again, musical instrument, gaming set, thieves tools, you know, alchemists, masonry, woodworking. So you might have a character who just like whittles as a hobby if they have like the woodworking proficiency. And that's pretty neat. But then there's also that option for simple weapon. And that gets interesting to me as well, because there are times where you might just want to have a character be able to use a specific weapon that they just normally can't. So something that comes to mind is something like the shortbow. The shortbow is a simple ranged weapon, but there are actually quite a number of classes, really, that just don't get a lot of weapon proficiencies. So, you know, the wizard comes to mind for that. So if you're playing something like an something, you know, a dwarf wizard, then okay, then maybe some of the weapon proficiencies that you get aren't super helpful for that or the tool proficiency that you get as a dwarf may not be as helpful for that character. So you could swap that out to potentially give them something like the shortbow or just something that is relevant to the character that you want them to be. And the ability to just have that potential options for customization is just a really nice thing. It just there are so many just good things in this book. So next up, we come up to one of my favorite things. And this is the one that I kind of hinted at earlier when I mentioned that there's probably going to be a decrease in humans, which is the option for a custom lineage. Because one of the things about the previous options is that you can pick and choose any of them. If you want to just get the ability score improvement difference, but keep all the rest of your features the same, you can do that. If you want to just take advantage of the proficiencies, but leave alone your ability scores, you can do that. Uh, uh, though, of course, I should also mention all of this is pending DM permission, of course. This is all optional rule sets, and it's not necessarily automatic that it is going to be that way. So your DM always has the power to approve or deny things. I, I beg of you, Dungeon Masters, allow your characters to use these rules, but you do have the choice to allow or disallow any of it. Uh, anyway, uh, that aside, uh, custom lineage is 
this trait that I think is going to be the thing that makes humans far, far less common. Uh, before I actually do read off all of the things, Nathan, what do you think are some of the reasons of why humans are so popular in 5th edition? Because humans are the best. So, uh, to be more serious on that, uh, outside of the obvious racial superiority of uh, being human, uh, there's also the fact that you get uh, <laughs> a feat <laughs> if you uh, choose the human variant. Correct. The option of the human, the human variant vastly outplays just the typical human to the point where a lot of people may probably forget that the variant human is indeed a variant. But the custom lineage, guess what that includes? I don't know, a feat? A feat. So, custom lineage. Instead of choosing one of the game's races for your character at first level, you can use the following traits to represent your character's lineage, giving you full control over your character's origin, or sorry, over how your character's origin shaped them. So, it is just the bare bones of racial options, but it's enough. Creature type, humanoid. You determine your appearance and whether you resemble any of your kin. Uh, actually, one more quick tangent that that reminded me of. One very nifty thing about this option is that this gives players and dungeon masters a rule set for non-standard races. Like, if you want to play a character who is like, the one in a million, you know, chance that there was an offspring between a dwarf and an elf, then there are rules as written to do that. But by having an option here of a custom lineage, you can do that. You can do anything that you want to with Dungeon Master approval. Uh, anyway, size. You are small or medium. Your choice. You want to know what happens if a dwarf and a gnome have a child? Speed! Your base walking speed is 30 feet. Ability score increase. One ability score of your choice increases by two. Now, this is one of the minor, minor troublesome bits to this. You do not have as many points to play with as a lot of as the standard racial options instead of having like a plus two and a plus one you just have a single plus two also this is slightly different than the variant human the variant human does a plus one to two things but this just gives you a single plus two that is the one thing that slightly irks me here i wish that they just made it a choice of you can have a plus two in one ability score or a plus one in two ability scores but it is the way it is again i'm a dungeon master if i want to do it that way i just will feet gain a feat of your choice for which you qualify yay variable trait choose either 60 feet of dark vision or proficiency with one skill i really like that actually because there are a lot of potential limits, you know, with the variant human to not have dark vision. So technically speaking, if you just wanted to use this as a variant variant human who just has dark vision for reasons, you can do that. And I appreciate it. Yeah. And like, for example, if your DM doesn't really use dark vision all that much like me, 
I don't I don't True. I don't think I've ever used it ever. Uh you, you can actually get something else. Also true. So if you just don't care about, you know, vision modes, then just to gain an additional skill with your lineage is a thing that can be very beneficial. And then finally for the custom lineage is languages. You gain a common as well as one language that you and your DM agree is appropriate for your character. That's pretty awesome. That is a relatively short, but enough. So it is basically a lot like the variant human for the most part, but with a little bit of extra flexibility for the most part. Of course, minus my gripe on the ability score increase. So there are also a couple more options here, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, next up is changing a skill. And this is just another one that I very much appreciate because it can happen that at some point during, you know, the game, whether it is at character creation or later, you just get a skill that doesn't actually get used or doesn't actually suit the character. And like maybe you are constantly rolling arcana checks, even though your character isn't proficient, but like you want to gain that proficiency to show that your character has grown an interest in this and you've allowed some other skill to atrophy. So there is the option here now to change a skill that you are proficient with. Uh, you just are to talk to your DM about uh, whether that would be okay. And it also mentions that a convenient time for such a change is when you reach a level that grants ability score increase, representing that your character has spent a level or two studying the new skill and letting the old one atrophy. So you have that kind of immediate explanation. There's the uh, suggestion of when you can do it. Uh, I do also need to point out here, it mentions a convenient time for such is at those levels. That doesn't mean that you have to. Like, maybe it is a situation where, oh, okay, you know, you start a character at first level and you immediately realize, like, ah, I have chosen poorly with this skill. Like, I should have insight instead. And you just decide, oh, okay, um, maybe I, my character won't actually be the one who does the survival checks. So maybe just when you get, like, immediately to level two or level three, just whenever is a reasonable time to you and your dungeon master, you could just swap out the skill. And that is one that I really, really appreciate because they're just... The fact that so many choices in 5th edition are just locked in, just hard lock as soon as you make the choice without an option to change it, limits you a lot. So having the ability to make your character suit the character as it is played is as it should be and that just yay options and then finally we have changing your subclass so this is obviously quite a larger deal because your subclass is usually a pretty big part of the character but again there are times where something might happen in game where either you just aren't having fun with the subclass options, uh, the subclass options just don't really suit the style of the character as they have developed in the game, uh, or it could even be a situation where just something in the subclass options doesn't really suit the world that you're playing in. 
And uh, to give one example of that, uh, actually, Morris, uh, who I played pre- in the previous arc on Riftwake, uh, he was a zealot barbarian who have a trait that resurrections on them don't require material components. However, uh, that wasn't really a thing because Riftwick is not a world with easily available resurrection. So one of the Zealot's, you know, handy class features just wasn't something available to me. And I didn't know about that really when the character was first made. And it just kind of came up later as we learned more about how the world works. So if you do find yourself in a situation where that can happen to you, then it might be worth talking to your DM to just decide, okay, you know, do you want to, or, and is it logical to change the subclass? Uh, minor tangent though, before I go over to these rules as written, uh, you can of course also just do what Nathan and I did was to just agree that, okay, that might be a bit of an extreme option. And we're just going to borrow a different subclass feature to just kind of fill in the character build and then just move on from there. But in situations where you do want to change your subclass, you now have rules available to do that. And what is also kind of nifty is that they give two separate options on how to go about doing it, which is to either take time in game to train the new subclass or to have it be a sudden change due to events. And I really appreciate that they took the time to describe both, because those are both things that just make sense as an option to happen in a D&D game, where there can be situations where like, the character realizes that their training isn't suited for their quest, so they would then take the time to retrain and take some other subclass, or the option of having there be some a sudden change. And I actually really like the example that they give here in the book, which is an oath of devotion paladin, paladin failed to stop a demonic horde from ravaging their homeland. After spending a night in sorrowful prayer, they rise the next morning with the features of the oath of vengeance ready to hunt down the horde. That totally works thematically and is really freaking cool. So to have there be both options to retrain or a few options of examples of how a sudden change might be done is just yet another win-win with the options available here in this book. In summary, there are a lot of new customization options in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, and I do highly recommend taking a look at the book for yourselves and making use of these rules to make your characters, whether it is from the player or dungeon master perspective, more real as characters. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also support on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Tier stars those a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, only access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, we'll be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, or on Facebook as Riffwake, or Reddit on the subreddit r slash Riffwake Podcast, and you can send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A-N-D, rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye! Bye! <laughs> Imagine I'm gonna keep that in. I'm gonna keep that in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Anyways. Alright, hop over to 120. Right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.